0: Okay, um, if you'd like to find a seat, I promise there'll be opportunity, and am booming. Okay, I, I promise there'll be opportunity at the end to, to, uh, well, to catch up, but also to, to pray, so we're going to get straight in. Am I still booming, my love? Yes. Apparently I'm booming. Am I still booming? So I'll just keep going and hopefully there'll come a point where I stop booming. Um, you know, if you're visiting today or maybe you don't normally come to church, you're just checking us out, you haven't been to church for a while, it's a good time to come to church because we're looking, we're looking at the first book of the Bible, Genesis, And uh, there's lots of useful information about Genesis. It's one of the most books of the Bible. It's probably one of the most written about books of the Bible. Ben Rogers, do you want to come and have a look? See why I'm booming. Um, Because I can tell I'm booming now. Um, And so, um, yeah, we're wanting to look at that. We started it last week. If I were to summarise last week's message... I would say this, Genesis is a faith book, primarily. It's not a history book, it's not a science book. You don't, if you're doing a history exam, uh, you can read the Bible, but it won't help you really pass a GCSE in history, um, and it certainly won't help you pass a GCSE in science, even though it's really clear that God is both historical and scientific in the way that he's created the world. But for us as Christians... It takes faith to believe the accounts of Genesis, just as it takes us faith to believe that Jesus uh, came and that he died for our sins. It's a faith book. And last week we just asked a number of questions about it. And this week we begin to look at the text. But this isn't hopefully, this won't be a lecture on you know the text of Genesis in some sort of scientific way. The truth is I'm a pastor, and so I, I think about things from a well, I try and think about things from the perspective of people and faith and God, rather than I'm not trying to defend the Bible here. Um, God can defend uh, the Scriptures in many other ways. But he's not using me um, to do that. So we're going to look at the text. We're going to look at a number of texts. I've got a number of things to talk about. And then hopefully we'll, if we end in the right place, we will be uh, coming to our Father. So I've, I've called this particular talk the Father of creation. And I'm just going to read the first couple of verses of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that we have words that tell us that you started it all, that you have a plan for it all, and that there'll come a day when you will wrap it all up and you will still remain the Father, you'll still remain the one to whom all glory is given, all worship comes. We thank you for that. We thank you that that's the God that we serve and the God that we love. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Bible says right at the beginning, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And that word God in, in, I think it's Hebrew, is uh, Elohim. Elohim. And it's used 35 times just in Genesis 1. And this is what it tells us about God. That first word describing God. It tells us that God is personal, Elohim. It tells us that God is powerful. It tells us that God is uncreated, I was who I was, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. That's what it tells us about God. It tells us that he is creative, he's orderly, he's good, he's loving. He's living and speaking. He is like us, or we are like him, but we are nothing like him. That word tells us all of those things. It speaks of God as being eternal, the almighty who is without beginning or end but he has the power within himself to cause things both personal and impersonal to be. It tells us that. Elohim. Secondly, the passage tells us that that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 is the first word that we read in the Bible on creation, but it's not the last word and it's not the only word. Throughout the Bible, writers believed and wrote that God was the creator of all things. That the world didn't come about in any other way. You've got to remember that that the idea that God came about in terms of evolution, that's actually a modern interpretation of the beginning of the story. It's not not what the Bible says. It's not what people believed for, for centuries, for generations. Here are a few references taken from the Amplified Bible. Isaiah 42 says this, Thus says God the Lord, he who created the heavens and stretched them forth, he who spread abroad the earth and that which comes out of it, he who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Psalm 89 says, The heavens are yours, the earth is also yours, the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. Acts 17. The God who produced and formed the world and all things in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in handmade shrines. So the Bible tells us God isn't an idol. He's not something that you can make out of wood or stone. He's the creator. And finally, Revelation 4 tells us, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honour and dominion, for you created all things. By your will, they were brought into being and were created. So throughout the Bible, people believed that God created the world. There's no indication in the Bible of an evolutionary process. Now, it wasn't trying to teach us that, but it certainly is making the point, God created the world. God brought it into being. It's not just Genesis that says that. Many passages throughout the Bible tell us that. The other thing we know about the God who created is he created something out of nothing. God created something out of nothing. The word often used to describe that is the word for creation called bara. Bara is used to describe God creating. Bara is not used to describe how we create because we can't create something out of nothing. Yeah, I, if I've got nothing in my hands, I'm not going to create anything. I can form and fashion and do things, but owning God can create something out of nothing. The word that describes our type of creation is Asa. And that's used to, des- to describe the type of creativity that we enter into. We form and we fashion. We discover what's already there. Yeah, So when somebody discovered gravity, they didn't, they didn't create gravity, they discovered it. When somebody made um, electricity, they they didn't create electricity, but they discovered that if you put certain things together, power comes, energy comes. They didn't create it. God created these things. But we do have the power to create in a certain way, to fashion, to form, to put into being. And you know what? That's really helpful. It's really helpful to know that we do that because that's very consistent with the fact that we were created by a creative God. We don't have his power, but we do have part of what he's like. That's totally consistent with the way the world is, and it's totally consistent with what the Bible says. God created the world. He breathed his life into into people like you and me, and he gave us an ability to create. And so we create. God has the power to create something out of nothing. He has the power to create life. And do you know what? He's given us the ability to create life. He's given us the ability to make life. Now, we can at times abuse that. And if, if you forget that it was God who gave you that ability, then it's very likely you're going to go off in a direction uh, that we're not meant to go off. But acknowledging that God is creative, that he creates something out of nothing is helpful because the world began, and we all, we all know that the world began, there was nothing. There was nothing, and then something happens, and we attribute that moment to the creative God, the Elohim. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That point of formlessness emptiness often talks about confusion, disorder, and chaos reigned. So there's a moment where where everything is in chaos, nothing is going on. But during that moment of chaos and confusion, the Spirit of God is hovering, you can say, with eager anticipation over the waters. He's waiting for the word. He's waiting for the word. The spirit of creativity that can make something out of nothing is waiting he 's waiting for that moment. The third person of the Trinity we meet in Genesis chapter one verse two and do you know what? It makes perfect sense that God created this because it took such it took such creativity to make the world in the way that it is because the balance between between sustaining life here and not sustaining life here, is, is really, really delicate. It's a really delicate balance. Isaiah 45 tells us for this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be emptied, empty, but formed it to be inhabited. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because the world can be inhabited. A lot of the planets around us can't be inhabited, but God created the world in such a way that it could inhabit. It could be inhabited. There could be life. And again, it's interesting. You think, oh, wow, that's really interesting. That is exactly true. Yeah, that this world is inhabited, and so many planets we know of aren't inhabited. We assume that there must be um, habitation on other planets simply because of the numbers. There must be. We've got no. We've got no proof of it. But what we do know is that God created the world to be inhabited. And that makes sense. We also know and believe that the Trinity: the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That God that we believe in was involved in creation. Now normally when we think about creation, we just think about God. And when I think about creation, I think about God who is distant and away and he's big and he's powerful and he creates the world. That's how I think about God. And and that word Elohim actually speaks of a plurality. It doesn't just speak of God in the singular, it speaks of God in the plural. It implies that there's a plurality of persons, even though it gets attached to single verbs. It implies that there is more than one. An eminent Jewish rabbi, I mean, I'd never heard of him, so he may be eminent in certain circles many years ago, but not my ones. Um, I don't know many Jewish rabbis. Uh, Simeon Ben Joachi. He once commented on this, and, and the reason it's, it's I suppose, it's, it's noteworthy is because he's a Jew. Yeah? He's a Jew. He commented on Leviticus saying this, Come and see the mystery of Elohim. There are three degrees, and each degree itself alone, notwithstanding, they are all joined together in one and not divided from each other. He must be strangely prejudiced, indeed, who cannot see that the doctrine of the Trinity in unity is expressed in the above words. So here's a Jewish writer describing the Trinity and saying, look, it's obvious. You've got to be quite prejudiced to think that God wasn't Trinitarian, that God wasn't one in three, or three in one. And then John 1 is far more explicit about it. John 1 verse 1 to 5 says this, In the beginning was the word, This passage is describing Jesus. When John wrote the book of John, the first thing he wanted people to know is this is about Jesus, and Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with him in the beginning. John tells us, without any shadow of a doubt, that Jesus was involved in creation. He was there at the beginning. Nothing has been made outside of him that has been made. So in the, so right at the beginning, we read about, in the beginning, God created the world. We read about the spirit of God hovering over the waters. We get this word Elohim, which suggests plurality rather than individuality. And here in John 1, we read about Jesus involved in creation. It leads to a question. the Father, the Son, and the Spirit involved in creation. What was God doing before creation? What was he doing before he made the world? What was, what was he doing? Was he sitting there bored? Maybe God was bored and he was thinking, do you know, what, what am I going to do today? Yeah, I've got all this power. I've got all this knowledge. I've got all this stuff. What am I going to do? With it? I, know, I know what. I'm going to create a world. Yeah? Now imagine if you do something because you're bored, you do it maybe to entertain you. Yeah? I was bored, so I'd create something that would just keep me going. Or, or if you do it because you feel you're lacking something, you know, you, you know, some, some people, I'm not saying we did this, but some people, they have children because maybe in their marriage they're feeling, well, we're, we're lacking something, so why don't we just have children, hey, hey That would keep us busy, or boy, does it keep you busy, yeah? There comes a point where you say to yourself, why did we have children to keep us busy, yeah? Or we know, we know of a number of couples who had children maybe similar age to us they had children. And then like 15 years later, they have more children. And I'm like, gosh, either you're bored, you want to be busy. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, because having children to keep you busy or because you're bored is a big, big, big thing to do. So did what was God doing before creation? Was he bored? Was he sitting up there twiddling his heavenly thumbs? <laughs> Saying, how, how, what do I do with myself? I've, You know, I've, I've gone around and now there's nothing to do. There's no one to play with. What should I do? Was he lacking something? Was there something in him that made him go, do you know what, I I just feel a bit, I just feel I have a need here. There's something that's not quite right, something that's not quite complete in me. I know what I'll do. I'll create the world. Is that what he was doing before creation? John 17 tells us what he was doing before creation. John 17, verse 5 and verse 24. When Jesus is praying to his Father before he goes to the cross, he prays this. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. You see, before the creation of the world, God wasn't bored. God wasn't feeling he lacked anything. God was basking in glory. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, they were together in glory, in perfect relationship, perfect community. He was with the Son and the Spirit. They were together, loving and being loved. You see, before the creation of the world, God was a father. He was a father who was loving his Son. And in fact, creation of the world was an overflow of his love for his Son. It wasn't that he needed creation. God didn't need the world in order to be completely God. He was already completely God in perfect relationship with the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. But he created the world as an overflow of his love. You see, we often don't think about it, but right at the heart of God is the fact that he was a father. And the very first characteristic the father engaged in was love. You say God is love. When the Bible says God is love, I mean, when I realised that and I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, when the Bible says God is love, it's true. (laughs) God is love. It's not just a phrase that we use, oh, God is love, and sometimes we can think of it as a nice, pious phrase. No, God is love, why? Because before he created the world, he was loving his son. Where do we get fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, where do we get family like that from? Who created that? Who invented all of those things? Well, the father invented them. Why? Because he was a father with a son. He created family. And out of the overflow of his complete relationship with his son and with the spirit, he created the world. He's a father who loves. And you know what? It's really important for us to know that. Let me explain why it's really, really important that you understand that God is a father. God didn't create the world because he needed us or because he lacked something. Which is why salvation is a free gift of grace. God does not demand from you. He doesn't need to. If God were bored and in his boredom he created the world... He would probably need us to entertain him somehow. If he lacked something, maybe there was an element of God that was lacking in him, and he felt, oh, do you know what? There's something that's missing, and he created us. It would be to fulfill a need in him. But do you know what God didn't lack? God wasn't bored. God loved the sun. And an overflow of his love, he created the world. So, when we come into relationship with him through the Son, it's a grace gift. It's grace. Because he's not demanding of you. He's not saying, You must love me. In order for me to be God, I need your love. He's not asking that of you. He's not saying, You must work for me because in order for me to be God, I need you to work on the earth. He's not asking that. God accepts you freely. And he accepts you because he's a father with a son and with his Holy Spirit, and he's in perfect relationship himself. Out of the overflow of that relationship, he creates. That's wonderful, wonderful news. It is wonderful news when you realize, all oh, right, all right. So, so some of us have had fathers who have been demanding. Yeah, and every time I speak about fatherhood, I'm a little bit nervous because obviously I've got two girls, and some of you might sneak up to them and say, Is your dad, is he demanding? Yeah, so I'm aware of that. But some of us have had fathers who have been demanding. Yeah, and we've felt that in order to please father, there are certain things I need to do. Yeah. And do you know what we've done? We've taken that thought and we've moved it into our relationship with God. In order to please Father, there are certain things I must do. Some of us have had fathers who have been, frankly, rubbish. Rubbish. And so we we don't think about fathering because we think, ah. And so what we've done is we've become very independent. Do you know what? I can't rely on my father, so I will do things myself. Some of us, we've lived like that. We've had to live like that. And what happens when we become a Christian? We don't get this idea of God being our Father. We get that he's our, he's our saviour and our Lord and all that type of thing. We don't understand him being our Father, so we still live with this independent idea. We still live with it. I, you know, I do things my way. God, I, I, yeah, I, want, you in, God, I want you involved, but do you know what? I'm going this way. Are you coming? We approach God like that because our fathers were demanding or our fathers were rubbish. And I I don't mean to just say any individual there, but some of us said, you know what, you're right. Some of us, we had fathers who ignored us. Now, I know there's one thing my girls can't say, that dad ignores them. In fact, he's too involved, he's too busy. He's a busy, busy dad. He's always trying to get involved. Yeah, my girls get more texts from me than anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. But some of us had fathers... Who, were, who, who didn't have time for us. They were uninvolved. They weren't interested. You know, I'm sitting there needing help, and my father's sitting there watching telly, or he's sleeping, or he's, he's doing stuff. So when we come to God, and, and so sometimes what I do when, when it's like that, initially, I try and find a way of getting his attention, good or bad. Yeah? Good or bad, I do what I need to do to get his attention. Okay, I'm going to break the window. You're going to react to me, but I'm going to get something back. Yeah, That's what we do. We try and get his attention, good or bad, for the father who doesn't show any interest. But deep down, we're insecure about that. I read something the other day, a sad story about a girl of 16 who committed suicide. And the reason it... It, it was newsworthy. Was I think she had talked about doing it on, on a particular social media site. I can't remember what one it was. And she talks on this site um, about having a father and an older brother who didn't know she was there. That was basically her big thing. Nobody knows I'm here. If I weren't here, nobody would miss me. Now, you could see that in her, in her natural world, she had a very bad relationship with her brother. She talked about it. But she also says... I miss him desperately. I miss him. I miss the fact that he's not not engaged in my life. He's not around me. I miss him. And some of us, we've grown up where our father, we didn't even know, does he know I'm here or not? Sometimes I don't even realise. And what happens is, because when we come to faith and we love Jesus and our sins are forgiven, we don't really get the thing that God is our father. And therefore, when we come to God, we can still have those feelings of, does anyone know I'm here? Yeah? And sometimes our answer to that is we do stuff. We're really busy. Maybe we're busy in church. We're there. We're doing stuff. Why? Because we want people to know that we're there. We want people to know that, that, that we've got a role. We can do something. I, 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 can, I can be important. I can help. Because we haven't got to the stage of realising, no, 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 there is a Father who loves you. It's a father who loves you. So it's really important for us to understand that God didn't create us because he lacked anything. He created us because he wanted to express his love and his salvation and his grace. Secondly, it's helpful for us to to know that, that, that God is a father because you can love a father difficult to love a judge or or all the other attributes of God. He's my ruler. He's he's gracious and he's compassionate. There's lots and lots of things about God, lots of characteristics about God. But it's difficult to love them. I'm I'm sure I do love God because, because he's the creator. He's the almighty. Yeah? But I love him most because he's a father. It's the most natural way of operating. This is what Jonathan Owen said about that. He said Owen says, in effect, remember, He is our most loving Father, talking about God. He goes on to say, to say, every other discovery of God without this will but make the soul fly from Him. But if the heart be once much taken up with this, the eminency of the Father's love, it cannot choose but be overpowered, conquered. And endeared unto him. If the love of a father will not make a child delight in him, what will? If the love of a father will not make a child delight in him, what will? The other helpful thing that makes this so important is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the love relationship that we see there in the Trinity is the first defined relationship of creation. That's why we do family. We don't do family church because we have children. We do family church because God is family. That's why we do it. And it's also important for us because I think one of the One of the enemy's tactics in this day and age is to rob our generation of any understanding of fatherhood. Therefore, we are robbed of any understanding of who God really is. He's quite happy for you and I to think of God as the ruler and the judge, the distant one who somehow I have to obey. But he understands and he knows that if we get God as father, there is a complete difference in our relationship the warmth of a father. As I said at the beginning, we're going to focus on the father today. Focus on the father. I want to just tell you a personal testimony about my. Relationship with my father, Ben. Do you want to just come back up because we're going to move to respond in a moment. But my dad's a 79-year-old Jamaican, and that means lots of things if you know anything about 79-year-old Jamaicans. It means if he comes in here, um, <clears throat> he's quite happy to talk to anyone. He'll sell you anything. He's uh, he'll want to stand up here and say his piece. He's you know we have to create. Spaces for my dad to do his stuff, yeah. And uh, growing up, my dad worked. You know, he never really lived with his father. He had four brothers <coughs> who he grew up with, um, the sons of his mother, but all different fathers. On his father's side, there were numerous children. I don't know how many. And uh, and so and so, my my sort of family in that sense is quite fragmented. I've I've probably got. On my dad's side, maybe ten uncles and aunts, half of whom I've ne- I don't even know. <clears throat> Came to this country, met my mum, and they married and they stayed together for 25 years. And, and, then, and they got divorced, and at the time it was really hard when they got divorced, even though I was like a young adult. <clears throat> but I remember the more I heard about their upbringing, the more I realised, gosh, they did well. My parents did well. 25 years. In an environment where nobody did more than a night in bed. 25 years. And, uh, you know, I've grown up and just done my thing. And, you know, uh, and, that, and that sort of thing began to change my perspective on my dad. And over the last few years, you know, I've, I've, I've taken on my own responsibility. I've got my children of my own. I've got family of my own, I've got responsibilities of my own. And I've just realised, though, there have been a couple of occasions in the last few years where, where I've been able to be a child to a father. And, and no one else could have done it, really. You know, there were a couple of occasions where my dad, I remember we were moving on one occasion and it had all gone wrong, and for one night we were homeless, as always, it wasn't the first time. Um, but we were homeless. We didn't know what we were going to do. And I remember talking to my dad on the phone. And he was a father. In that, not that he had all the, all the advice, but he just showed concern. He showed concern. And then more recently, he's, just one or two occasions, now he, he goes on and on and on. But more recently, he's shown concern about my health. The only other person who really does that is Pauline. Now, you know, it's not I'm asking you to start, how are you? Please. Yeah? But no one else could have done it like my dad did it. Because he 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 completely um, that relationship, it completely became father-son again. I'm 45, and you know, I chat to him and I said, Dad, you know, what? I'm a big man now. You don't need to be telling me. Yeah. But there are moments, there are moments when I realize. Do you know what? He's a father. He's, he shows concern. He brings a sense of safety and security, even though he can't do anything. He's not resource, he's not got lots of, he's not resource rich. And some of us, you know, that's fortunate for me. I'm, you know, my dad's nearly 80 years old, and I've now had that experience with him just on a few occasions. Some of us have never had that experience with our fathers. But do you know what? You can have that experience with God. You can. What you've done is you've accepted life hasn't taught me well here. It's not been the best example. In fact, it's been a rubbish example. And so I, I will do, I, I'll, I'll sort it. The danger, big danger, is you take all of that in and that's all the filters that you have when it comes to God. Because you think God, is, why isn't it going well, God? You're meant to sort it all out. But you can have this relationship with him because God, first and foremost, is like a father. He's a father to you and to me. And I had just a couple of weeks ago when I was thinking about this and thinking about this issue of fatherhood and, and reading a particular book about it, I just remember a moment of feeling completely released, because I thought, do you know what? You're my father. You're in charge. Yeah? We don't get our girls to worry about paying the mortgage, or we try not to. They ask lots of questions. Yeah? But we don't say, okay, girls, please do the budget this week. We need you to work it all out. We don't make those types of demands and they come and go they do they, in some ways they do as they please yeah because at, at, at 14 you know when you've got the father child relationship she's not meant to be worrying about that now I know the reality of life is sometimes that happens to us but now for many of us here we're Christian and we don't realise God's your father you can come to him you can, you can put it all to him You've been saved, yes, but you still carry all these worries and ways and anxiety and all this stuff. And you can just come to him and say, Father, you know what? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. So I want us to stand. We're going to, let's just all stand together. We're going to sing this song again, Abba, Father. And just like I'm encouraging us more and more to do, to respond. And I know for some of you the floor is hard and it's difficult to kneel. So you can just come and stand and, or you can come and sit. But I'm encouraging you just to come. And for a moment to reacquaint yourselves with your Father who is in heaven. Because it's not just, I've talked about, actually he was a father from the beginning. But when Jesus taught them how to pray, he said, pray our Father." You see him using that term abba, father, which in our language would would translate daddy, dad. It's far more intimate than father. It carries with it the respect, but it also carries with it a level of affection. There's this sense of he's your dad. And when I say that, I'm not I'm not diminishing the fact that he's God almighty, but I am telling you he was your dad from the beginning. He's the Father from the beginning. And and we see even in the ministry of Jesus how often he went back to his father. I only do what the father I see the Father doing. I don't, I don't run away. I only do what I see him doing. When he says in John 17, not my will, but your will be done. He goes back to his father. There's a moment for us. Some of us need to get reacquainted, or maybe acquainted for the first time with our Father who is in heaven but who has come to earth and made himself known. So we're going to sing this song and just while we're singing it I'm going to encourage you just to come out and you know maybe someone will pray for you maybe not maybe it's just you and him it's just, it's just you coming back to him give him your cares give him your worries let him take them upon himself because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We're going to sing that again. I just want to say this, though. For some of you, 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 there's this thing you need to break through in relation to your father, whether it's one of what he expected of you, what you expected of him, or or whatever it might be. And uh, the reason I'm suggesting you come forward is it's a way of activating the faith that brings about the breakthrough. Otherwise, when you just stand in your place and you sit in your seat, you've, what I've done is I've just given you some knowledge and you've gone, oh yeah, no, that's, oh, that's really helpful. But there comes a moment where just like, just like the woman who, who touched the hem of his garment, although there was no magic in his garment, her reaching out and touching the hem of his garment was, was what activated the faith. If I only just touch him, I'll be healed. If you only just reach out, you can be healed. You can see breakthrough. Don't don't let breakthrough be an intellectual exercise in your head. Let it be a reality in your life. So we're going to sing this again and I want to encourage you to to come forward. I know there were one or two people who had words. Maybe you want to come out and we can just begin to bring those and just bring them into the mix of this. But I I want you to respond. I I don't want you to miss an opportunity to activate the faith. You know, that woman could have let him go by and goes, oh, you know. Do you know what? She was the only one who had faith because he was being bumped and pushed to Jesus at that moment and no other power left him. He never talked about, oh, power's going out from me everywhere. One moment, because one person in their reaching to Jesus activated faith and they were healed. For you, you need to reach to Jesus today. You need to reach to the Father and activate faith that you might be healed that you might make Ruth breakthrough, that you might forgive. Some of us need to forgive our fathers. You might repent. Some of us need to to say sorry to God for the attitude. You need to get reacquainted with him. So we're going to sing this again. And I'm encouraging you, um, not not just to hear the words, but in the very moment to respond to them. Like that woman, reach out and, and, and grab hold of God today. If you've got a word, you just need to come and we'll just try and uh, fit those in.